Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from The Private Key to Heaven by Thomas Brooks, the leader, a leader of the Evangelical Party in the Church of England. He died in 1869. Uh, he's gotten to the part in his book where he's giving directions to prayer, and one of them is to take heed of private sins, and to that purpose he gives us four different things to look at. We're on number two right now. Secret sins shall be revealed. Secondly, consider that secret sins shall be revealed. The most hidden works of darkness shall be openly manifested. For though the acting of sin be in the dark, yet the judging of sin shall be in the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Luke 8, 17. The slanders of the Jews concerning the magical arts of Christ and his apostles, the horrible lies of the pagans concerning the incestuous copulations of the Christians and their drinking man's blood, were in time discovered what they were. God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Ecclesiastes 12.14 Mark, he doth not say some work, but every work. And not only works, but secrets. Not only secrets, but every secret. And not only secret good things, but evil too. Whether good works or ill works, whether secret or open, all must be brought to judgment. The books of God's omniscience and man's conscience shall then be opened, and then secret sins shall be as legible in thy forehead as if they were written with the most glittering sunbeams upon a wall of crystal. All men's secret sins are printed in heaven, and God will at last read them aloud in the ears of all the world. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Look, as there are a world of flies and motes in the air, which we never see until the sun shines, so there are many thousands, thousands of proud thoughts and unclean thoughts and envious thoughts and worldly thoughts, and malicious thoughts, and envious thoughts, and bloody thoughts, which the world sees not, knows not. But in the great day, when the counsels of all hearts shall be manifest, then all shall out, then all shall appear, both to the upper and the lower world. In the great day, all masks and hoods shall be pulled off, and then all shall out. All that ever thou hast done in the secret chamber, in the dark corner, shall be made known to men and angels, yea, to the whole court of heaven and to all the world beside, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, Romans 2.16. In this great day, God will judge not only our words, but our works, not only our open works, but also our secret works and ways. When Jehoiakim was dead, there was found the, the characters, superstitious marks, prints of his sorcery upon his body, which shows how deeply idolatry was rooted in his heart, seeing he bare the marks in his flesh during his life. He, being a king, bore it out bravely and, and kept all close. But when he was dead, then all came out. Then the marks of his abominable idolatry appeared, 
upon his body. Though sinners, though the greatest of sinners, may hide and keep close their horrid abominations for a time, yet there will come a time when all shall out, when all their secret marks and secret abominations shall be obvious to all the world. But sinners may be ready to object and say, Let us but alone in our secret sins until that day, and then we shall do well enough. And therefore, number three, many times secret sin is made known in this life. In the third place, consider that God many times doth, even in this life, discover and make known to the world men's secret sins. God loves to act suitable to his own names. Now, to be a revealer of secrets is one of his names. And accordingly, even in this world, he often brings to light the most hidden things of darkness. Of all the glorious attributes of God, there is none that suffers so deeply by secret sins as the attribute of his omniscience. And therefore, in this world, God often stands up to vindicate the honor of that attribute by unmasking of sinners and by bringing to the light all those secret paths and ways of wickedness wherein they have long walked undiscovered. It was for the honor of this blessed attribute of God that the secret plotted sin of Ananias and Sapphira were so openly discovered. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Acts chapter 5 verse 11. Joseph's brethren for a long time hid their malice, their craft, their cruelty, their envy, treachery in selling their brother into Egypt. But at last, by amazing and amusing providences, and that's a, amusing in the archaic means astonishing, um, all was brought to light. Conscience that for a time may seem to be asleep, yet will in time awake and make the sinner know that he is as faithful in recording as he is fearful in accusing. And this Joseph's brethren found by sad experience. And so Gehazi, he sins secretly, he lies fearfully, and after all he defends it stoutly. But at last all comes out, and instead of being clothed richly, he and his posterity were clothed with a leprosy forever. And instead of two changes of garments, God hangs them up in chains as a monument of his wrath to all generations. And so Achan secretly and sacrilegiously steals a goodly Babylonish garment and two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight and hides them in the earth in the midst of his tent. And by reason of this, Israel flies before their enemies. But at last Achan is taken and all comes out, and his golden wedge proved a wedge to cleave him, and his Babylonish garment a garment to shroud him, to bury him in. Joshua makes a bonfire of all that he had secretly and sinfully stolen, and in it burns him and his children and all that he had. Oh, how openly, how severely doth God sometimes punish men for their most secret iniquity. The same you may see in that great instance of David. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. This was done in a secret letter. And hast taken his wife to be thy wife. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. 
Because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David was very studious and industrious to hide his sin and to save his credit. But the covering made of Uriah's blood was too short and too narrow to hide his folly with Bathsheba. And therefore, when he had done all he could, his sin was tossed like a ball from man to man through court, city, and country. I have read of one Parthenius, a murderer, a treasurer to Theodobert, king of France, who, having traitorously slain an especial friend of his called Asonius with his wife Papianila, when no man suspected or accused him thereof, he detected and accused himself after this strange manner. As he slept in his bed, suddenly he roared out most pitifully, crying for help, or else he perished, and being demanded what he ailed, he, half asleep, answered that his friend, Asonius and his wife, whom he had slain long ago, summoned him to judgment before God, upon which confession he was apprehended, and after due examination, stoned to death. Thus the terrors and horrors of his own conscience discovered that secret wickedness which none could prove against him. I have read how that Muhammad, the great Turk, had with great rewards procured two Turks to undertake to kill Skanderbeg. These traitors came to Skanderbeg, making such a show of the detestation both of Muhammad's tyrannical government and vain superstition that they were both by Skanderbeg and others reputed to be indeed the men they desired to be accounted. And so, after they had learned the principles of the Christian religion, they were both, by their own desire, baptized. And soon after, by a providence, it so fell out that these two traitors fell at variance betwixt themselves, by which means the plot came to be discovered. And after due examination and confession of the fact, they were presently condemned and executed. Conscience is God's spy in the bosom. Conscience, as a, as a scribe, a, a register, sits in the closet of your hearts with pen in hand and makes a diurnal, that is a day book or a, a journal, of all your uh, secret ways and secret crimes which are above the cognizance of men. Conscience sets down the time when, uh, the place where, no matter how, the persons with whom such and such secret wickednesses have been committed. And that's so clear and evident that go where you will and do what you can, the characters of them shall never be cancelled or erased until God appear in judgment. Let a man sin in the closest retirement that human policy can contrive. Let him take all the ways he can to hide his sins, to cloak and cover his sin as Adam did. Yet conscience will so play the judge that it will bring in the evidence, produce the law, urge the penalty, and pass the sentence of condemnation upon him. There is many a man who makes a fair profession and who hath a great name in the world, and yet is self-condemned 
for those secret sins which are not obvious to the eyes of man nor punishable by the hands of man. Yea, many times in this life God raiseth such a hell of horror and terror in many men's consciences by reason of their secret sins that they can have no rest nor quiet, neither at bed nor at board, neither lying down nor rising up. Fain would they conceal their sins, unwilling they are that the world should know how vile they have been in secret. But conscience, being upon the rack, and still and gnawing, accusing and condemning of them, they can hold no longer. Now all must out, and now those sins that were most secret and concealed come to be published upon the housetop. Some that have been under anguish of conscience, others that have been smitten with a frenzy, and many in their very sleep have been often the blazers and proclaimers of their own secret filthiness and wickedness. In those cases, God hath made many a secret sinner cry out with the leper, Unclean! Unclean! And with Judas before all present, I have sinned! I have sinned! Many times in this life God doth very strangely and wonderfully discover those secret works of darkness in which persons have lived long undiscovered. A Pythagorean bought a pair of shoes upon trust. Well, the shoemaker dies. He is glad. He, he thinks them gained. But a while after his conscience flies upon him and becomes a continual chider and tormentor of him, he hereupon repairs to the house of the dead, casts in his money with these words, There, take thy due. Thou livest to me, though dead to all besides. Uh, but uh, there is one more issue that needs to be covered. Let me see. Let's go ahead and cover it this time. And then we have just a couple more times. We'll be together with Mr. Brooks in his book. Number four, secret sin is more dangerous. Fourthly, consider that secret sins are in some respects more dangerous than open sins. Many a man bleeds to death inwardly, and no man perceives it. The more inward and secret the disease is, the more the man is in danger to lose his life. There are no fevers so dangerous as those that prey upon the spirits and inward parts. And so there are no sins so dangerous and pernicious to the souls of men as those that are most inward and secret. Secret sins often reign in the souls of men most powerfully when least apparently. First consider that he who sins secretly deprives himself of those helps and remedies which by a divine blessing might arm him against sin, yea, make him victorious over sin, to wit the prayers, counsels, reproofs, examples, encouragements of friends, relations, a man's house may be on fire, but while it is all inward, help comes not in. But when the fire flames out, when it catcheth the outside of the house, then help runs in. Then help on all hands is ready. He that sins in secret debars himself of all public remedy and takes great pains to damn his soul in a corner and go to hell in the dark. Secondly, Secret sins will make way for public sins. He that makes no conscience of sinning in the secret chamber will ere long, with Absalom, be ready to spread a tent upon the top of the house and to go in to his concubines in the sight of all Israel. 
such as have made no conscience of stealing a few pins or pence or a few shillings in private, have in time come to be so bold as to take a purse on the road at high noon. The poisonous serpent, the cockatrice, must be crushed in the egg, else it will soon become a serpent. The very thought of sin, if but thought on, will break forth into action, action into custom, custom into habit, and then both body and soul are irrecoverably lost to all eternity. If Satan can but wound our heel, as the poet's feign of Achilles, he will make a hard shift, but he will send death from the heel to the heart. If this subtle serpent can but wriggle in his tail by an ill thought, he will soon get in his head by a worse action. Hence it is that Christ calls hatred murder, and a wanton eye adultery. Secret hatred often issues in open murder, and secret wanton glances of the eye do often issue in visible adultery. If Amnon be sick with the sinful conceptions of incestuous lust, how will his soul be in pain and travail until he hath brought forth? And how many are there that in secret have taken now and then but one cup more than enough, who now may be seen at high noon reeling against every post? Look, as secret diseases in the body, if not cured, will in time openly break forth, so secret sins in the soul, if not pardoned and purged, will in time be openly revealed. Covetousness was Judas's secret sin, and no sooner doth an occasion or a temptation present itself, but he is very ready and forward to betray and sell his Lord and Master for thirty pieces of silver before all the world. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And that thus, first sin hath its conception, and that is delight, and then its formation, and that is design, and then its birth, and that is action, and then its growth, that is custom, and then its end, and that is damnation. Thirdly, secret sinning puts far more respect and fear upon men than upon God. Thou wilt be unjust in secret, and wanton in secret, and unclean in secret, and treacherous in secret. And why, but because thou art afraid that such or such men should know it, or that such and such friends should know it, or relatives? Ah, poor wretch, art thou afraid of the eye of a man, of a man that shall die, and of the Son of Man which shall be made as grass, Isaiah fifty one twelve. And yet do you not tremble under his eye, whose eyes are as a flame of fire, sharp and terrible, such as pierce into the inward parts? Ah, how full of atheism is that man's heart that tacitly saith, If my sins be but hid from the eyes of the world, I do not care though the Lord knows them, though the Lord strictly observes them, though the Lord sets a mark, a memorandum upon them. What is this, O man, but to brave it out with God and to tempt him and provoke him to his very face who is light, and in him there is no darkness at all? Ah, sinner, sinner, can man damn thee? Can man disinherit thee? Can man fill thy conscience with horrors and terrors? Can man make thy life a very hell? Can man bar the gates of glory against thee? Can man speak thee into the grave by a word of his mouth? 
And after all, can man cast thee into endless, easeless, and remediless torments? No. Can God do all of this? Yes. Why then doth not thy heart stand more in awe of the eye of the great God than it doth of the eye of a poor, weak, mortal man? I have discoursed the longer on this particular because there is not any one thing in all the world that doth more hinder secret communion with God and secret prayer than secret sins. And oh, that you would all make it your great business to watch against secret sins and to pray against secret sins and to mourn over them and to judge deeply and condemn yourself for them and carefully and conscientiously shun and avoid all occasions and propagations that may be as fuel to these secret sins. Certainly there are no men or women that are so sincere and serious in closet prayer, or that are so frequent, fervent, constant in closet prayer, or that are so delightful, resolute, undaunted, or so unwearied in closet prayer as those that keep themselves most clear and free from secret sins. For a close, remember this, that though secret sins are in some respects more dangerous than other sins are, yet in three respects they are not so bad nor so dangerous. First, in that they do not scandalize religion as open sins do. Secondly, in that they do not shame, grieve, and wound the hearts of the saints as open sins do. And thirdly, in that they are not so infectious to others nor such provocations to others to sin against the Lord as open sins are. And thus, you may see what those things are that you must carefully take heed of as ever you would addict yourselves to closet prayer. Well, we have just one more section in the book, and it's a small one. We'll be done soon with, with the private key to heaven. Several important practices when we get together once more. Well, thank you for listening, and do look over the site. I've told you about it many times before. I'll let it go for now, but do look over the site, will you? This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the 16th of June, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.